I'm going to be focusing specifically, but not primarily, uh, not only, but specifically on the Holy Spirit uh, as we see him unveiled in the book of Acts, his activity and, and what he does or does not do. Um, so, for example, suppose you were to uh, turn on the news feed on your phone tomorrow and uh, you read the story about a church in Minnesota that had an apostolic outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was so strong uh, that there were miraculous healings happening all over the place. I mean, people were coming to the church week after week, and God was just healing people of all kinds of diseases, and uh, just miracles were happening. And it was, um, if you read that news feed, what would be your first response? I mean, be honest with yourself. Would this be like, oh, uh, this couldn't happen, um, this must be fake, or would you be skeptical? Uh, that God could do such a thing, or would you take it at face value? Or suppose you heard a television report about a church in downtown Columbus that was aging, and it was really dying, and there were very few people left. But then um, a speaker came, and God just seemed to use that individual to spark and to ignite uh, just kind of like a holy movement in that group of people. And each and every night, the crowds just kept getting bigger and bigger. And God was just moving among them in very powerful ways. And uh, longtime members said that they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. They had not realized that they were not even Christians. They thought they were, but, but God just, you know, baptized them. And now they understood what really Christianity is all about. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Would that be something that you would desire to see happen here or not? Or suppose you're someone at work, you were, were to stop you tomorrow and say, you know what, I was, I was watching TV and, and I don't know the guy's name, I don't remember who he was, but I was watching on this Christian station and he was up there preaching and all of a sudden he was calling people up on stage and he was, you know, thumping them on the head and they were, they were doing this thing called slain in the spirit. What is all that all about? What, is that really legitimate? Is that something of the spirit of God or not? And could you really explain that to me? And, and, and if it's really legitimate, could you give me some scripture to back up your answer? Or imagine your neighbor. You've been talking to this person for a long time about your faith in various ways and over time. And, and they, uh, they say to you, you know what? Um, I recently went to church and the church that I attended, I was told that if I would give my life to Christ, that I would see miracles happen. I'm not, I'm not talking about vague miracles that, you know, could be or not be, but I'm talking about, you know, authentic miracles would happen in my life. Just a clear-cut, nature-defying miracles, indisputable miracles. Hey, if I give my life to Christ, can I expect that in my life? Is that really going to happen to me? Because I could use a few miracles right now, but I just want to know that before I cross that line that I'm going to be guaranteed those things because they told me that that's, that's what the Holy Spirit would do for me. Or imagine somebody sitting in your small group turns to you and says, you know what, last night, I don't understand, but last night I had this dream. It's like a vision. And God kind of spoke to me through that dream. Does God really do that sort of thing? How would you respond to them? Is that, is that really a legitimate thing? Or suppose I would ask you this morning, what does it mean? What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? You know, we, we read about that in the Bible, and I, I'm really not sure about what that means or what that understands, but all I know is I was told that I, if I blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that I couldn't be forgiven of that. 
So have I, have I committed the unpardonable sin? I'm not really sure what that is, but I want to know if, I'm gonna, if I've crossed that line of the unpardonable sin. And what about this thing, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit and the guidance? Of, that all confuses me. Could you explain all that to me? <laughs> I guess my question for you this, this morning is, how clear are you on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Not just giving answers by what maybe you have heard or what somebody else has taught you, but how clear are you if someone were to ask you these questions that you could really go to the Word of God and say, well, you know what, here's what the Scripture teaches about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. My guess that is for a lot of us, we would become very vague and fuzzy about the Holy Spirit if we were asked those kinds of questions. It's amazing that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a lot of knowledge about God the Father, about his goodness and his grace, his mercy and his holiness and his justice and his righteousness and all those big terms that we use. And we have a, we have a lot of knowledge about God the Son because, you know, we, we talk a lot about Jesus and really the gospel is about Jesus. And, and so, the, you know, we spend time in the gospels, the four gospels that explain about the, the life and the work of Christ. But how, how much do we really know about that third person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit? Is he a person? Is he an it? Is he a force to be reckoned with? Uh, who, who is this person and what has he come to do? And, and why does that, why does, what does that have to do with my life? And so when asked to describe the Holy Spirit, we often become very mystical and vague and tentative and a bit uncomfortable. Do you know somebody that was not uncomfortable about talking about the Holy Spirit? Jesus himself. And so listen very carefully, and if you haven't turned there, in John chapter 14 and verse 16, here's what he says to his disciples. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it, is ne it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's a very important phrase. He's with you, and he's going to be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. Now, you'll notice he says, I will give you another. Uh, circle that word, another. Excuse me. In the Greek, there are two words that are, that are described as another. There is heteros and alos. And, and so heteros means another of a different kind. Alos means another of the same kind. For example, if you came to my house and I said, hey, would you like a piece of fruit? Yeah, I'd enjoy that. And I handed you an apple. And upon the completion of eating that apple, you said to me, hey, pastor, man, that apple was so good. May I have another? Now, I can interpret that one of two ways. You just want another piece of fruit or you want another apple, right? So what if I handed you an orange and you would say to me, well, wait a minute, no, no, I meant another of the same kind. I, I want another, but I want it to be an apple, not an orange. So that kind of distinguishes what Jesus is saying. He's saying is the Holy Spirit that I'm going to give you is not someone who's different than me. It's not another like another kind, but he is another of the same. In other words, Jesus, the Spirit, Jesus, Jesus through the Holy Spirit, 
uh, Jesus the Son, the Father, is known as the Trinity. And people say, well, try to explain the Trinity to me. I would, but you would just go bonkers uh, because no one can explain the Trinity. One God in three essence. But we do know that within the Trinity, there is this cosmic dance that happens between them. And so the Father is the one who orchestrates. He is the one who, before the foundation of the world, knew that Jesus would have to come into the world and to die for the sins of humanity. And Jesus, the administrator of the plan of the fathers, says, I will leave my throne in heaven, I will enter into the realm of humanity, and I will take on human flesh, and I will live as a human being. I will set aside my card of divinity, and I will show humanity how to live in the presence and dwelt by, filled by, prompted by the Holy Spirit. And so he did. He came. And he says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only do, I only say what the Father tells me to say. And so the Father orchestrated, Jesus administrates, and the Holy Spirit manifests in the lives of people what it is the Father is on the Father's heart. So um, Jesus says, I'm giving you this, this person. He is like me. And he's going to be what? A helper. A counselor, some of your translations might say. It is paraklos, which means uh, it's the same word for advocate that was used by John in 1 John to refer to Jesus, like a counselor uh, or a lawyer. I kind of liken it like this. It's easy for us to remember. What God gave us through the Holy Spirit is a life coach. You know, everybody's into life coaches these days and sometimes. Uh, So why go out and pay 30, 40 bucks for a life coach when you get one for free? All right, so through God's grace, the Holy Spirit becomes your life coach. He provides you with direction and instruction and counsel in your life's journey. But sadly, the Holy Spirit is probably the most ignored person of the Trinity, although he is the only person of the Trinity who's on planet Earth. All right? So you say, well, wait a minute. God's on Earth. God's everywhere. I, I, I get that. I understand that. The first person mentioned in the Trinity in creation was the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God, Elohim, plural, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. It was the Spirit of God that was hovering over over this formless void as God spoke it into existence. And so God orchestrated the creation of the heavens and the earth. Jesus, knowing the fall of man, would administer the gospel so that you and I could have our sins forgiven, so that you and I could have our shame wiped clean from our slate, so that you and I could enter into this relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then he says, the Holy Spirit is coming to indwell you, to breathe life into you, so that he brings spiritual life where we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And so your body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. You literally, in the title of this series is, your body is hosting the presence of the Spirit. It is the part of the Trinity that is fully engaged in your life. It's not that we ignore the gospel. It's not that we ignore Jesus because the Holy Spirit's always going to take you back to the gospel, back to Jesus. But it's the Holy Spirit, the part of the Trinity, who is actively engaged in our lives as we host his presence. And yet he's the one person that we know the least about in the church. And so when we throw around words like baptism of the Holy Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, powered by the Holy Spirit and guided by the Holy Spirit, and all those terms, we become very um, confused. 
and we become very fuzzy and we become very vague. For example, you can walk around indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but you're not walking in his power. And when you're not walking in the power of the Spirit, there are some things that are going to be absent from your life. There's not going to be a lot of joy in your Christian life. Your Christian life is going to be more like mechanical, matillery, <laughs> militaristic. You know, it's like, do this, do this, don't do that, do this. And, and there's, not, there's not much um, faith. You'll be driven more by fear than you will by faith. You'll be driven more by worry than you will be by peace. There's not going to be much witnessing going on in your life because you're thinking, well, yeah, but I'm just not motivated to do that. Well, listen, if you wait until you're motivated to share your faith in Christ, you'll never do it. Because motivation is a very, very poor motivation, right? You, you know, if you wait to get motivated about anything, you don't do it, right? It's just easier to sit on the couch. You know, I'm, mo- I'm waiting for motivation to get up off this couch. And, you know, you, you know how it is in January. Everybody buys a gym membership. I'm motivated. I'm, I'm going to go and lose weight, and I'm going to get in shape in my life. And, and I'm really going to, you know, build my body. And that motivation lasts about a nanosecond. So you just, you know, you just turn on the TV and watch other people exercise and say, okay, it's good. I'm, I've, I've signed off on that. Listen, the Spirit of God is so engaged and involved in your life. And if, but if we are ignorant of him and his ways and the way that he works, if I were to say to you, listen, you know, I want you to live your life so engaged with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if you will walk in the Spirit, you will not engage in the lust of the flesh. But how many of us have that kind of victory going on in our lives? If I were to say to you, well, you know, listen for the voice of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you. He wants to direct you. He wants to instruct you. He wants to encourage you. He may move upon your heart to, to go and help somebody or just encourage somebody. You say, well, I don't know what his voice sounds like. That's the problem. And so we don't understand who he is and what he does and how he does it. And we want to, we want to correct that that wrong. So I love when Stephen in Acts chapter seven, when he, I don't love the fact that he was stoned to death, but when he was stoned to death, the Bible says that when he looked up into the heavens, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the father. My point is this, is the Holy Spirit is within you. And the, the spirit was with was, you know, it's what Jesus said in verse 17. Again, he says, the spirit, uh, he is with you. He lives with you. That's kind of like in the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon people, but now he wants to take up residence in you. He wants to be in you. And certainly that happened within the, the lives of, the, of the, um, the disciples. And so much so that we now become the workmanship of the Spirit of God. You see, Jesus, the Son of God, was totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit when he was upon this earth. In fact, if you read through the scripture, you'll find that he was conceived by the Spirit of God. He was led by the Spirit of God. He was empowered by the Spirit of God. He was taught and obeyed the Spirit of God. He was anointed by the Spirit of God. He was absolutely dependent upon, and he taught us how to do that. And we see it fleshed out in the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts can be titled in many different ways. It's Acts the Apostles is what your Bible says. But really, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit as he lives himself out through the Apostles and through the, the believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to learn how to do. All right, so I'm just setting you up. I've got an outline. It'll come in a minute. 
We're setting it up because I, I want you to know that we're going to stop like every seven weeks. We're going to stop and we're going to drill down on things because I want you to understand what does it mean to be baptized by the spirit? What does it mean to be indwelt, uh, to be empowered by? I, I don't want those things to be fuzzy for you anymore because I want you living and walking and breathing as your body is hosting the spirit's presence within you. He's not a mere force. He is a person. He is a person who has a will, who has emotions, who speaks and teaches and instructs. He can be grieved. He can be resisted. He can be quenched. And so again, what the father initiates, the son administers, the Holy Spirit manifests. So it was the father's plan of salvation. Jesus administered that plan of salvation by dying on the cross. But here's what the Bible says. You and I would never come to faith in Christ if it were not for the fact the Holy Spirit draws us there. <clears throat> All right, guys, you're paralyzed week right now, so be praying for me. Do <clears throat> you know what Jesus said and instructed his disciples? In Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God over his creation. What would happen if God's rule and reign was over your life, that you begin the day, you learn some things about the spirit, because I don't want to just get, fill you with head knowledge about the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I want to give you some very practical tools week in and week out, that you can put into practice. But what if we spent our, our days beginning seeking first God's kingdom? That I came into the presence of the Holy Spirit with a heart that was fully surrendered over to him. And I said something like this, Holy Spirit, I'm about to begin my day. I pray that you, I pray this prayer every time before I get up here to speak. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will fill me, that you will become my eyes, you will become my ears, my mouth, my hands, my feet. I want you to make me aware, put me in tune with the people who are around me. Lord, with the people that I work with, is there a need there? Is there something I could do to encourage them or to help me to need? Help, just, I just pray that you will prompt my heart to who I might need to speak to today. Or maybe something I need to share with somebody. Uh, maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. I don't know what it is. But you are, you are beginning seeking first God's kingdom and you're allowing the guidance and the voice and the anointing and the filling of the Holy Spirit to begin your day. But oftentimes we don't begin the day like that because we suffer from what I call pneumophobia. Pneuma is the Greek word we get pneumatic. It means air or wind. The Holy Spirit was described by Jesus as being wind, blowing wherever he may go. Pneumophobia means we are fearful of the Spirit. It's amazing how many Christians I talk to who are afraid of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, if I really surrender myself to the Holy Spirit, you know, does that mean I'm, you know, I'm going to fall down and just lay out and, and jerk around on the floor? Or am I going to get caught up in something? No. Listen, the result is, again, we don't want to live joyless and fearful and powerless Christian lives. The Spirit of God, it says in Acts 1, Jesus says the Spirit's going to come upon you because he wants to empower you. Because as Jesus said to his disciples over and over again, there is absolutely nothing you can do apart from me. And so what Jesus sent was the spirit of God, just like him to empower, to be the life coach of his, his disciples so that as they begin 
fulfilling the mission that he gives them. You remember, he stood, he gave them the great commission, says, go out and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to, all, to observe all that I commanded you. And then he went up into heaven, you know, called the ascension here in verses 9 through 11 in Acts chapter 1. Jesus knew they could not do anything on their own without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. What would happen if I spend my day seeking first the kingdom of God, surrendering my heart under the spirit, looking for his guidance and fullness and control, as opposed to getting up, starting my day, throwing out a laundry list to God in Jesus' name, take care of those things, Lord, and I'll be back to talk to you later. Which person do you think is going to walk endowed with the power of the Spirit of God, with the joy of the Spirit, with the witness of the Spirit in their life on a day-in and day-out basis? Well, obviously the person over here, right? But this is the way we live most of our lives because we're really not in tune with the Spirit. We're really not really sure that sure about Him. And someone says, well, you know, I really don't need to learn about the Holy Spirit because I'm not doing anything anyway, so I really don't need him. Yes, you do. Listen, if the Spirit isn't controlling your tongue, guess what it is? <laughs> it's a lethal weapon. And one of the reasons why Christians get in so much trouble with each other and use su such sharp tongues to rip each other up is because we're living in the flesh rather than under the control of the Spirit. So we want to learn how to walk with the Spirit on a day-in and day-out basis so that we keep ourselves in tune with Him. That is why we're going to study the, books of, the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts was written by, if you'll turn there if you're not already there, by Luke. Luke was not a, a part of the original 12, obviously. Um, Luke was a convert of the Apostle Paul, and um, he was a doctor. And you'll notice it says in my former book, Theophilus, uh, we don't know exactly who Theophilus was, probably a patron who probably paid Luke uh, to write the gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. When you put those two books together, that comprises 25% of the New Testament. And Luke, being a doctor, was meticulous when it came to details. And so he's going to give you all kinds of details uh, that we probably otherwise would not have had a doctor not written it. He is the only Gentile author of the entire Bible. All the other books are written by Jewish men. Uh, this is the only Gentile author. And so he comes to show us how God birthed the church and how the message spread without Jesus being there physically, how, how they, they performed even greater works, as Jesus said they would do, with his absence. He says, listen, guys, it's better that I go. It's better that I depart from you than to be with you because I want to give you the Holy Spirit who's going to dwell you. And rather than you being confined to me in one space, now the Spirit, you're going to host the presence of the Spirit and you're going to take him everywhere you go. And you can live with a spirit-empowered life that is absolutely not only going to transform your life, but also spill over into the lives of others. Now, the purpose of this study is not to imitate the early church, all right? You'll say, well, we ought to be like the early church. Man, they had problems. But here's what you do know, is the reason why they had, were so reliant on the Holy Spirit is, listen, they had no instruction book on how to do church. They had to rely on the Spirit to guide them and instruct them. We're going to see this as we go throughout the book of Acts. There, there are times they came to a, a fork in the road and they're like, we don't know what to do. God, we, we're not sure which way to go. 
And so the Holy Spirit uh, was given to make them very powerful in the mission and the ministry that he gave them. Your mission is what goes on outside the walls of this church. Your ministry is what you do inside the church. And if you're going to be successful in the ministry that God's called you to and the mission that he has commissioned you to, you must rely and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit if you're going to pull it off. All right, so there's just two basic things in this outline today. Two main points that I I, I want us to, to look at in chapter one of Acts First of all, uh, when, when Jesus gave them these instructions and then he ascends up into heaven, I mean, they're like, oh, well, what do we do now? So they, they go back to Jerusalem and they, they huddle together in this upper room and they are praying, says verse four, they all continue to pray constantly uh, together with one heart, one mind. And so there was an attitude of desperation, an attitude of desperation. Remember, Jesus has been talking to them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. I'm sure that Jesus kind of gave them a lot of instruction uh, during that 40-day period of time. Uh, But as Matt pointed out in our men's class, and I think it was a great point, is that, listen, these guys were shell-shocked. It was only 40 days ago that Jesus was crucified in a very brutal manner. And uh, although they see him after his crucifixion in the resurrection, it's like, you know, if, if somebody dies in your family, do you just like, you know, in 40 days just get over that? So I don't care if you did see them resurrected. I mean, there's, there's, you're just kind of, you're kind of shell-shocked. You're kind of numb in your mind. And that's probably where they were. But as Jesus began to unfold what it is that he wanted to do, you notice it says he gave them very convincing proofs, not through the witnesses of others, but through touch and sight and sound. And I mean, he would show up in rooms. <laughs> I was like somebody, you know, you're looking around and all of a sudden Jesus, oh, he's right there. But even then some doubted, right? Thomas. Lord, unless I, touch your, unless I touch your hands, unless I can put my finger in your side, your side, I don't know that I can accept that this is really you. And Jesus says, touch. Now, what were they doing in this passion for a movement of God? God told them to do two things, to wait and to witness, to wait and to witness. Notice in, verses, in verse four, it says, on the occasion, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. What is the gift the father promised? The Holy Spirit. And so um, he didn't say, okay, guys, um, I love this, the fact that Jesus commanded them. He ordered them. It wasn't like, well, you know, guys, um, I got a suggestion right now. You, you know, you can just think this over and consider it uh, what you want to do. But I, I really would suggest that you go and wait for the Holy Spirit. No, he commands them. If you've ever noticed this about Jesus, um, he's full of grace and truth, but he's Lord, right? When he's talking to his disciples, he doesn't spend a lot of time warming up to this idea. He knows who he is. He knows who we are, what we've been called to do. He says, this is what I want you to do. Boom, it is command, right? Wait. But how, how, how much do we like to wait? We don't like to wait. And so because we lack this patience of waiting is that we're, all, we're constantly, when the spirit is moving in you, and it might be that the spirit says to you, wait, we're gonna find this all throughout the book of Acts. Sometimes Paul wanted to go over here and the spirit says, no, you need to wait. Don't go there, I want you to go over here. No, don't go there, I want you to go over here. 
We have to wait upon the Spirit and let the Spirit prompt us, let the Spirit move. As the Spirit is, um, is engaging in the lives of other people, as the Spirit is, is preparing uh, His entrance into this situation, sometimes He just calls for us to wait and to pray. But how do we wait? Uh, let me give you five things we, we do that is really not waiting, all right? Uh, red light waiting. How many of you sit at a red light and uh, somebody's in front of you, the light has turned green and you are waiting for them to go, but they're not going? How well do you wait? How long do you wait before you lay on the horn? How long do you wait before you kind of inch up behind them and really lay on the horn? Some of you have been behind me and you have honked at me. Isn't that sometimes how we treat the Holy Spirit? God has you in a, a situation of waiting, a situation that you cannot change. And so how most of us sit, you may not honk the horn, but you're sitting there going, come on, man, come on, come on. Stop looking at your phone. Stop playing with your child. Come on, hit the gas, go, move. Is that the way we treat God? Am I the only one that, that's treated God this way? Come on, be honest with me. When God has you waiting, it's so hard to wait right? And so we're just like, God, come on, move. Let's go. Let's move this. Let's get this thing happening. I mean, we are praying for this year, 2018, that this be the year of the Lord's favor and that God would move in very powerful ways through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And I'm already sitting at the red light going, come on, God, it's the first Sunday of the year. Let's do it. Let's move. Let's go. Come on. Let's see it happen. I'm such a patient person. Remember growing up as a child and you come in, you were just like famished, you know, you'd be out playing, you're hungry and you'd say, mom, is dinner ready? No, it'll be ready in a little bit. And you, you, you're just gonna have to wait. How patient were you as a child, right? You keep running in there, opening up the oven and door looking in to see if the dinner was ready yet. And, and so what happens? Your mom says, look, stop opening up the, 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 the door on the oven. Otherwise you're letting the heat out. It's going to take even longer for it to, for it to cook. And so we treat God sometimes that way. God says, leave it alone. It's not ready yet. You just need to wait. You just need to pray. When I tell you you move, you're going to move. I want you to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to his voice. And when I'm going to bring about the miracle, I'll bring it about. Until then, you just wait. You just continue to pray. And I'll do what I can do. And then you can do what you can do. But oftentimes, we're not giving it over to God. We're not trusting him. We just keep checking, Lord, is it happening yet? Lord, is it going to happen today? Is it going to happen tomorrow? Is that healing going to take place? Is, it, is that situation going to change? Lord, is the money going to come? Am I going to be able to pay my bills next month, Lord? I, and so we're just like, oh, we're, we're just like, drowning in this waiting process. You ever tried to wait for God to change somebody? <laughs> Lord, change him now. Please, come on, just change him now. And so we, <laughs> we don't like to wait. We hate detours, right? Ever God ever put you in a detour? He put a lot of people in detours. We don't like detours. How many of you have ever been gone down a highway, you saw a sign for a detour, and you thought, you know what? I know a better way. I know a shortcut around the detour, and you tried the shortcut only to find out it took you longer in your shortcut than if you'd followed the detour. 
How many of you have made it longer by trying to make it shorter when you wait on God and you look for a detour around him? Or maybe it's like when you pick up pizza. You know, if I go and pick up a pizza and I'm really hungry, what's the first thing you do? You grab the pizza, you pay for it, you lay it in the seat beside you, and that's all you can smell. Ah, pizza. Why better check it and make sure it's okay? You open up the lid. Why better try it out to make sure it's, you know, it's, it tastes right. And so you grab a piece and you throw it in your mouth only to burn the roof of your mouth because it's still hot, right? And then you drop it and you got pizza sauce all over you. And so it's painfully evident what happened on your way home from the pizza shop. And sometimes that's just the way it is. God has put us in the furnace of waiting and we're not waiting very well. And we're asking God, God, when is it my turn? When is it going to happen? Now? Yesterday? Come on, God. And God's saying to us, rest in me, rest in me, trust me when the time is right. And so here they are praying in the supper room. Day one goes by, nothing happens. Day two goes by, nothing happens. Day four goes by, nothing happens. Day six goes by, nothing happens. How many of us by this, by this time would have said, okay, I'm done. I'm giving up. I'm walking away. Obviously, God is not going to come through. That's, you know, whatever Jesus told us isn't going to happen. And they say, but 10 days out, all of a sudden, the promised spirit shows up. You say, well, I could wait for 10 days, liar. We don't. And he says, I want you to wait because I want to empower you because I want you to be my witness. And so um, in verse eight, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And really, you could flesh out the, the entire book of Acts because the first part talks about their activity in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And so in this, we find out, first of all, why we witness about Jesus. All You notice what Jesus says? Luke said, this, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So they were watching him. And clearly, these individuals had an experience with Christ, right? They had this experience with Jesus. And because of this experience with Jesus, not only had they heard him teach, not only had they watched what he had done, but he had, they had this experience with Christ in his resurrection. And then, man, after that experience, they could not shut their mouth about Jesus. But Jesus knew that they needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for many different reasons. And we'll talk about those in just a second. But Listen, one of the reasons, when Jesus intersects your life, when you have an experience with Christ, you want to witness about him. Witnessing is just testifying about what Christ has done, what this experience, this intersection in my life is all about. We want to tell people about that, right? When you have an intersection, when you have a, an experience, a good experience in a restaurant, you want to hurry up and tell people all about, man, you need to try this place out. You need to go, man, the food is incredible. Uh, the waitresses were so nice. And so witnessing is the direct overflow of your relationship with Jesus Christ because you just want to tell others about him. And he says, this is how we witness. You will be my witnesses by the spirit filling you and controlling you and talking to others about him. Listen, there is no substitute for Holy Spirit witnessing. If the Holy Spirit is not empowering you, if he's not filling you, if he's not moving you, if he's not guiding you, you probably won't ever witness. 
if you're not walking surrendered to him, you won't share. You will be silent. And so we, we've come with human substitutions for the power of the spirit in witnessing. And so we come to church and we've tried to lay guilt trips on people saying, you know, uh, you know, if you really love Jesus, you'll be out there witnessing. You'll be out there sharing. I remember going to a conference one. It is 10 o'clock at night. And the speaker who was the last speaker says, listen, guys, there's a conference on evangelism. Hey, if, if you don't love, if you love Jesus before you go back to your hotel room, you're going to find somebody to share your faith with. Guilt trip. How many guys do you think went out that night? There's 2,000 people at this conference. Hit the streets out there looking for somebody to witness to. Or sometimes we, we use guilt or, or a sense of obligation for formulas. Well, if you, you know, if you just... If you just do this and this and this, just give them the Romans road. If you just give them this four spiritual laws, uh, you know... You've done your job, it's all over with, and man, they're gonna make a decision for Christ. And how many of you have done that maybe and found out it just didn't quite work that way? In fact, I'm not a big fan, although I've been engaged in a lot of programs, One Reach One, Evangelism Explosion, Friendship Evangelism, CWT, all those things that give you an outline. And, and it's good to help people to understand how to share their faith. But I've just discovered that, listen, that's not necessarily how the Holy Spirit works. And it may be that he wants you so in tune with him, as Jesus says, you say, I don't know what I'm going to say. The Spirit will give you the words to say for the given person in the given situation at the given time. There are many people who have sat across my desk and poured out their hearts to me and said, Pastor, what do you think I ought to do about this? I don't have a clue. But I do ask the Spirit to give me, to give me wisdom. And so we... We say, well, but I don't have what it takes. It's not my gift. I witness with my life. Listen, the gospel is not a good example about what you do. The gospel is about what Jesus has done. There is no just witnessing with your life. You ought to witness with your life, but you have to give a verbal expression of a historical event, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. None of these will fly. You need a power source, and that power source is the spirit. He says, where do we witness? Man, we witness wherever we are. Basically, it's your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It doesn't matter. Stay in tune with the spirit and let the spirit move you. And so these, these disciples, uh, these people who are in the upper room, they have this attitude of desperation. They're, they're just, they have this all out passion for God to move, but they know they cannot move until they are empowered with the spirit. Here's the second thing there. They have an act of desperation. So they pray for God to move. When was the last time we spent any amount of time praying for God to move? They were desperate for power. Why? Because they, knew they didn't have the power to convict people of sin or their hardened hearts. You know and I don't have the power. I don't have the power to save anybody. Only the Spirit of God can bring conviction in a person's life that they need to give their life to Jesus. I mean, Peter in Acts chapter two speaks under the inspiration of the spirit, empowered by the spirit. 3,000 people say, what must we do, man? We're ready to, we're all in. One of the greatest evangelists ever. I know Billy Graham was a great evangelist. I mean, if you ever listen to his sermons, they're very simple sermons, but when he would give the invitations, thousands would pour out of the stands. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't, he didn't have the power to convict anybody of sin. One of the greatest evangelists of all time was D.L. Moody, who had very little education, couldn't speak well, a lot of words he couldn't even pronounce, and he was very poor grammatically, but yet he was one of the most powerful evangelists that God ever used. 
It's not about what you bring to the table necessarily. It's not like, oh, but I've got to know how to speak and I got to know how to do this and I got to know. No, that's depending upon you. You're depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to take, take up the slack, whatever it is that you are lacking. He can more than make up for that. The power to create community. I mean, these people were hostile with each other. You think prejudice was rampant in the day and time of the early church? Absolutely. Even within the boundaries of the Jewish people and especially Jews with Gentiles. They hated each other. They They had nicknames for one another. How in the world did God bring them together where nobody claimed their possessions as their own, but they shared everything? The power of the Spirit, right? The power to heal, to perform signs and miracles. The power to change lives. That's the power we need. And it only comes through the Holy Spirit. And so they were desperate for that power and they were desperate for a perspective. And so Peter stands up in the midst of all this and they feel like, you know what? We need to fill the slot of Judas. And so they use two things. They use prayer and they use the word, right? And so Peter says, well, you know, based on the prophetic word of David back here, um, I believe that, that we need to to bring these two individuals and uh, we need to f- select which one God would have to fill the slot of Judas. Now you notice that they, um, they cast lots. So the only, last time the Bible you ever see about casting lots. Remember, the spirit hasn't come upon them in power yet. I would have preferred paper, scissors, and rock, but um, between the two of them, that's just me. What were they relying upon? God's perspective upon the Holy Spirit to bring forth the individual that God had selected for this position. And somebody says, well, I think the Apostle Paul should have filled that slot. No, because he didn't meet the qualifications. In fact, even Paul himself said that I'm the least of the apostles. But you notice it says it was necessary to choose one who had been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went out out among us. Well, Paul wasn't there beginning from John's baptism, the time when Jesus was taken up from us. No, they selected the right guy because these apostles were focusing primarily on the Jewish community. God raises up the apostle Paul to focus primarily on the Gentile community. It's not that these men didn't go to the Gentiles or that Paul didn't go to the Jews. Every town he went into, he went to the Jews first. And we try to win them and then that would get him in trouble and then he would go to, you know, the Gentiles so I want to close with this. Uh, there are, I just want you to, I'm just trying to set the precedence here. The bottom line is this. Obedience to God's spirit, obedience to God's spirit opens the door for God's provision. Whatever it is that you need, whatever you lack, God can provide it so long as you are taking You are walking in step with the Spirit. You're walking in obedience to Him. And it might be that you can only take one step because that's all the further you can see. It doesn't matter. Just take that one step and then see what God may do. He may enlighten you a little bit further and the Spirit will enlighten you a little bit more. But if you will take that initial step, He will begin the process of allowing His power to flow through you for the mission that He has commissioned you to and for the ministry that he has placed upon your life through the giftings that he has given to you. So here's the three goals for this series. Is one is that we will reverence, we will reverence the spirit's mystery. You cannot put the holy spirit in a box any more than you can put God in a box. 
There, even though we're going to go through the book of Acts, don't say, well, man, I, now I've, I've got all the knowledge and everything about the Holy Spirit, so I, I can predict and I can control him. <laughs> Wrong. There, just as there is a mysterious side to God, there is a mysterious side to the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you, you know, as a small group leader, for example, some of you, have you ever noticed sometimes that you work really hard and you pray really hard and you struggle really hard to get a lesson together and, and you, you go in and you present it to the class and it just like falls flat? And then another week, you're so busy during that week, so much going on, you didn't have time to prepare adequately, you didn't really pray, pray that much and didn't prepare nearly as hard and you go in and your attitude's kind of bad because you've had a rough week and you present the, the material and all of a sudden, um, God just kind of anoints the meeting and, and just kind of comes up and shows up in real and dramatic ways. See, it's a mystery of the spirit. I'm not saying you should not prepare to your fullest ability. I'm just saying that sometimes that's just the way it happens. The man, just things happen. And, and the Holy Spirit, though, watch this. He is f- as fully committed to the redemption of this earth as he was 2,000 years ago. And you and I are the continuation of what Jesus began to do and to teach. We are the Acts 29. God's not finished. That's why Acts ends so abruptly because here we are, a church of January 2018, we are to continue on what Jesus began through the empowerment and through the fullness of the Holy Spirit so that our spiritual lives do not become mechanical, rigid, and stagnant. Number two is that we will align ourselves with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. I want us to align ourselves with his work. Listen, so starting out, let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. How do I grieve the Holy Spirit? You grieve the Holy Spirit when you you consciously and willfully just disobey, right? You disobey God. You, you just knowingly sin. Like if, if, I, if I, as your pastor, spent all week long just engaged in sin all week long, just bent one after another, and I can prepare a message. Look, I can prepare a message without the Holy Spirit, okay? I can. I much rather prepare one with him. Because it doesn't matter what I say from this pulpit. What, the only thing that matters is does the power of God show up? Because my words are not words of eloquence. My wisdom is not really that wise unless I'm in reliance upon the Spirit of God, right? And so it's just like Paul. I didn't come to you with eloquent words. I didn't come to you with human wisdom, but I did come to you with the power of God. Unless the power of God is resting on me and on you, we will accomplish nothing apart from him. So you can try to cover it up and camouflage it and engage in sinful activity all week long, grieving the spirit and step into a position of where maybe the spirit of God wants to use you, but you'll probably fall flat on your face because the spirit cannot empower you at that moment in time. At that point, you need to listen. You need to stop and you need to repent. We don't want to quench the spirit. To quench the spirit means to throw water on the fire. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do this year, but I believe he's going to show up in some very powerful ways that's probably going to make you feel uncomfortable. And the worst thing you can do is walk out of this building and say, I don't know what's going on at First Baptist Church. But I, I just don't agree with that. I, think it's, I just think it's weird, man. I don't understand it. 
Trust me, I will bring to you sound biblical teaching. But the Spirit can do what He wants to do, how He wants to do it, and when He wants to do it. Don't discard that because you're quenching Him. We are to walk in the Spirit, which speaks of relationship. And so here's the third thing that is my desire, is that we will earnestly request the Holy Spirit to manifest His power in our lives and in our church. Here's what Paul said. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may be strengthened, strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. God's desire to strengthen you in your inner being, an absolute vital core through the power of the Holy Spirit. Has the spirit lost his power? Not a chance. Then why are we not experiencing it? Well, hang on, because we're going to find out why. So here's my last two questions. Do we have a passion for God to move? And are we praying for God to move? If we have the passion and if we pray the prayers and if we walk in obedience to the Spirit, trust me, He will move. Let's bow our heads together. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're still able to transform lives and communities today just as you did all the way back in the early church. And we're just asking you to pour out your power upon us in our church. Even in our small groups, I, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will guide us, that you will be the leader of the group that you will empower us on what to say and what to do. Make us one. Make us one with you. Make us one with one another. May you release yourself. We do not want to do anything that would grieve you or to quench you, but we seek to walk in your presence and in your power. To engage in the ministry that you have gifted us to engage in, to be fully committed to the commission that you've given us. Father, we know that your mission is a movement, but our churches have become more like monuments and mausoleums instead of movements. God, we want you to move in a way that only you can. And again, it's my heartfelt prayer that when you move, however you choose that there's only one explanation and it's all about you. It's about a movement of the Spirit. And so, Father, I know the Spirit is ready. And now may we may we open up our hearts and surrender to Him this morning. And so in the few moments we have together, Just remain with your head bowed for a moment.